many people feel under pressure to try and present a perfect life to the world. As a result, social media can be just become a competition to show off your good looks, your perfect family, your full social life or your popularity. The problem is, of course, social media is selective. And it's an inaccurate representation of someone's life. It doesn't show all the normal struggles and disappointments of life. It can even be just simply fate. In the news this week, there was a report about a Japanese company called Family Romance, which provides fake friends and family. The idea is that you hire these models for your birthday party or for your holiday so that you can take those perfect photographs and then post them to your Instagram or your your Facebook account and everybody thinks your life is wonderful. But of course the end result of all of that is that instead of being more connected to people, you end up feeling less and less connected. You feel more and more isolated as if you're the only one who have problems and difficulties and struggles or even just mundane, ordinary days. Because everybody looks like they're having so much fun out there. And I think that can be a problem in church too. If we're not careful, church can become a competition to see who can worship the best or who can pray the most spiritually or who can... Tell the the stories of of God's blessing most in our lives. Instead of our church being a community of authenticity and connection, it could be a place where we simply hide our heartaches and disappointments and doubts. And we just present a kind of fake image to everyone else. But clearly God doesn't want that. Not just because we need those real, open, genuine relationships with each other. But also because we need to honestly face up to our struggles and our difficulties. Because it's then that we can experience God's power. So we're going to read this amazing passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1 down to verse 10. And we're going to just see what, what Paul has here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one would think, will think of more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from being con- becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Last week we saw how Paul confronted the the boasting of the the false teachers who had infiltrated that church in Corinth. They were bragging about how they were much more qualified than Paul was, much more powerful than he was, much more eloquent than he was, much more successful than he was. But Paul knew that this kind of boasting was unwise, it was unreasonable, and it was unlike Christ. But he he decided to use it against them. He showed that he could match them in terms of racial or religious background, or even ministry intensity, if those things really mattered in God's kingdom. But then he went on to boast about how much he had suffered For Christ. Not to prove how heroic he was. But to emphasize that it was in his great weakness. That God had worked most powerfully in his life. So he said in verse 30 of the previous chapter. If I must boast. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And Paul continued to do that here. He says, verse 1, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. In a sense, he didn't want to do this. He knew boasting wasn't really helpful, but he knew that you had to in order to highlight the foolishness of the boasting of the false teachers. So he's using their own game against them and using boasting to prove how foolish they are. And it seemed that seems that these false teachers, they were claiming to have experienced visions and revelations from the Lord. And their visions and the revelations and their ecstatic experiences, they were using as part of the basis of their claim to be superior to all the Christians in Corinth. And also to have the right To preach and teach their own version of the gospel. So it was as if they were coming into into this church in Corinth and say, listen to what we've experienced and see how that sets us, us apart as being so much closer to God. So you guys need to listen to us. But for what it was worth, Paul could match them in this as well. He had a remarkable experience of being caught up to what he calls here, all, both the third heaven and to paradise. Now, as soon as you read that, if you're like me, a whole load of questions come into your mind. What's all that about? What would it be like? What, what does he mean? And all of those kind of things. And Paul doesn't give us the answer to all of them. In fact, 
there are some questions about this experience that Paul cannot answer. He says he doesn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body. He didn't, doesn't know if his actual body went to this third heaven or to paradise, or whether it was just a vision, an experience that he had. And so I guess when you read this passage, we need to be content with not knowing everything about it. We need to resist the temptation to add into that or extrapolate that out or say that that's what this means or listen to some people who claim to know what Paul was talking about even although they don't. But there are some things that we can learn from this this experience of Paul here, I think. I think, first of all, we shouldn't be too surprised. This was not the only supernatural experience that Paul had in his Christian life. Remember how he saw the Lord on the Damascus Road? That's how he came into faith in Christ. He saw a vision of Ananias coming to heal him just before he did. He saw a man in Macedonia call to him into a new area of ministry. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And that gave him a new direction in his ministry. He also had a number of visions in Jerusalem. Then later, an angel would speak to him in the middle of a storm. And even on his first visit to Corinth, the city where this church was, the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. So visions and revelations were a part of Paul's Christian experience. Were a part of his Christian life. And really probably this shouldn't surprise us either. Because in the day of Pentecost, Peter quoted from the book of Joel and he says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So in a sense we shouldn't be surprised at this. And yet, on the other hand, this experience was unusual for Paul. He mentions it here, even though, as he says in verse 2, it happened 14 years ago. So this stood out as a unique experience for Paul. He wasn't having this experience every every day, every week, every month, every year. He was going back to a, a unique time in his life, 14 years earlier. And that's so important for us to understand today because there are some people who take this passage and they try to use it to claim that every Christian can, every Christian should experience this. Some even in their services try to teach how you can visit regularly the third heaven, even try and take people there in the middle of the church service. Maybe even experience it every single day. But the Bible never promises that. The Bible never promises that we will have these kinds of experiences. The Bible certainly never encourages us to seek these kinds of experiences. We're not supposed to live on the basis of what we see or what we experience. 
Paul says in this very letter. Chapter 5, verse 7. We live by faith and not by sight. We live on the basis of faith in what God says in his word rather than on the basis of what we see. So this is an, is an unusual experience for Paul. And anyway, this is not something that he could do. This is not something that he'd learned to do. Paul says it was an experience simply of God's doing. He was caught up to the third heaven. The word caught up, it's actually the same word that Paul uses when he talks about the rapture of the Christians. When Jesus comes back and, and, and we are caught up to be with the Lord in the air. So this is God's doing. Paul didn't decide that he wanted to go and visit the third heaven. They wanted a wee visit to paradise. He didn't initiate this. He didn't look for this. He certainly didn't control this. This was just something that God did in his life. And we can also see that what Paul experienced, he wasn't allowed to speak about the details of it. Verse 4, he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. We would go to Paul and say, tell us more about that experience. And he says, sorry, I can't. It's not allowed to. Paul's experience was private. It was to impact his own heart, his own mind. It was to motivate and encourage him to keep on going to serve the Lord in his ministry. It was not something to speak about. Or to write a book about. Or to become famous for. And unfortunately, that's so unlike those who claim today to have similar kinds of experiences to Paul. Because they go into great detail about telling us all about what they've experienced. In fact, Paul here tries to distance himself from this whole experience. He knows that he has to mention it to to silence these false teachers, but he does so in a way that tries to create as much distance between him and it as possible. He describes it in the third person. He talks about it as if it was somebody else. I know a man in Christ. He didn't want to take any credit for this. He didn't believe that God had given him this experience because he was so worthy of it. That was just another gift of God through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. And so he said, I will not boast, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. He knew that that experience did not define who he was. That vision didn't declare him to be superior to anybody else who hadn't had such an experience. That experience did not set him apart as more spiritual or more godly. And so he refused to use it to promote himself or to gain a position for himself. He actually says in verse 6 that he didn't want people to relate to him on the basis of this extraordinary experience. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Paul wanted people to see who he really was 
rather than put him up on a pedestal and think, oh wow, he's amazing, because he he had that experience 14 years ago. And that's the reason why Paul's sharing it now in this letter. Paul was saying to this church, so these false teachers have these amazing visions or claim to have these amazing visions and revelations from God? Well, I've had the most amazing experience you could ever imagine with God. But that doesn't define me. That doesn't qualify me for service. In the end, that is not what is important. And as I said earlier, that that is absolutely crucial for us to realise. Because some people take this passage and they use it, they twist it, to justify exactly what Paul was writing here to reject. They take this passage and they say, because Paul talked about this vision, then I can talk about my vision and that means I have the right to teach you all of this stuff that's not in the Bible. And that's exactly what Paul taught this to confront and reject and stop. Paul did not talk about this heavenly vision to encourage people to boast about having the same experiences. Instead he was saying that this is not what the Christian life is about. And yet, and this is not what reveals God's power in our lives most clearly. So yes, God can bless us with amazing experiences of his presence. Of course, he's the same God who did it in Paul's life that is in our life. But God doesn't want us to focus on those spiritual highs. He doesn't want us to live for those brief moments. Instead, he wants to reveal his power in our weaknesses. In our struggles. In our difficulties. And of course, as we saw last week, Paul knew all too well what it was like to feel weak. Remember that sobering list that we read in chapter 11? Of persecutions and beatings and floggings and stonings and shipwrecks and hunger and cold and and above all of that just that overwhelming concern for the churches that he ministered in. And yet here he spoke about something in addition to all of that. He says, verse 7, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Now, for years, Bible scholars have argued over what this was. Some say it's an incessant temptation. Others, it was a personal illness. Or a chronic disability. Or a speech impediment. Or even persecution or attack from some certain opponent in his life. Now, sometimes when the Bible doesn't tell us what things are exactly, it's for a reason. I think Paul used this phrase for a certain reason. So we conclude, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh was, exactly. But that is maybe the point of it all. Because it not knowing leaves the door, door open for all of us to apply what Paul shared here. 
So no matter what issue we face in our lives, no matter what struggles we have, the truth that Paul will apply to his experience, we can also apply to our experience. We can't say, oh well, that's only for physical illness, or that's only for an attack from somebody, or that's only from a temptation. So the fact that it is left open helps us to walk through and accept the the help that Paul gives here. But what we do know is that this thorn caused terrible pain for Paul. He called here a messenger of Satan to torment me. That word thorn here, it means something sharp that sticks into his flesh. Maybe like a stake that pegs him to the ground. Or maybe a splinter that just sticks in your your finger and is just so painful and it just gets in the way of everything you're doing. So whatever this thorn was, it was painful. It was distracting. It was debilitating. It was excruciating for Paul. And Paul saw in it the work of Satan to impact his health and to limit his strength. And so Paul did what the Bible would encourage us to do in these situations. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul responded to that problem with prayer. With genuine faith. With desperate pleas. With faithful perseverance, Paul Ask God to step into that situation, to remove his problem, to ease his pain, to bring him the healing that he needed, the rescue, the restoration, and the strength. And if you're, you like reading the Psalms, you'll know that the Psalms are full of these kind of pleas. Psalm 143, O Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy, in your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. And James, in his letter, he teaches us that that's the right response to problems. He says, is any of you in trouble, he should pray. This is God's response that he wants us to to take to the problems and the difficulties of our lives. And as Teresa read this morning, Paul himself taught this in his letters. In Philippians chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God wants us to pray. And Jesus taught us to do that and he promised ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you and so no matter what we're going through this morning we can do the same because God is a refuge and strength an ever present help in trouble what amazing promise to hold on to this morning. That when we are going through those difficult times, just like Paul was in that time, we can cry out to our Heavenly Father and we can ask Him for help. We can ask Him for relief. We can ask Him for rescue, for restoration, for healing, whatever it is that we need. But as Paul learned here, 
that doesn't mean that God will always give us what we want or what we ask for. Because God didn't step in and remove that thorn from Paul's flesh. He didn't take away that terrible pain. He didn't do exactly what Paul asked him to do. And that was because God had a deeper purpose in this. Look at verse 7. He says, To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn. God wasn't going to remove this thorn because actually it was God who had given him this thorn. To keep his feet in the ground. To keep his heart close to Christ. To keep him from becoming ineffective and unproductive in his ministry and in God's kingdom. So like Job in the Old Testament, the immediate hand in causing this pain and suffering in Paul's life was Satan's. But behind this was actually God's hand. Working through this pain to accomplish God's, God's plan for his life and for Paul's good. And I think that we need to be careful in, in applying this passage. Because this does not mean that God always has the same purpose for our suffering in our life. Okay? Paul isn't saying this is an across the board, applies to everybody who ever struggles or suffers in their Christian lives. Paul is not saying that. He is expressing his own experience here. This does not mean that God always has the same purpose for our suffering or that or God gave, it, gave us that suffering. Neither does it mean that we should stop praying when we suffer or when people suffer or when somebody gets sick or somebody who is opposed. God still does answer prayer in miraculous demonstrations of his power. Paul, as we'll see in the next passage, Paul saw that in his own ministry lots of times. So God is in the business of answering prayer. He is in the business of healing. He is in the business of rescuing and restoration. Okay? But this does mean that we don't need to despair if these times of suffering persist in our lives. If we are in a similar situation to Paul and we're struggling or we're suffering or we're we're seeing opposition or terrible struggles in our life and we pray and we ask God for relief and, and rescue and it doesn't happen, then we don't need to say, oh well, God's just given up on me. Oh well, God doesn't care about me. Or God doesn't love me. Or I've got it wrong. I don't have enough faith. Or I don't have enough whatever. But we can turn like Paul and say we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Whatever we are going through, whatever we are facing, we can hold on to this reality that even though we don't understand the why, we don't understand all that's going on behind the scenes, we know that our God is sovereign. 
We can rest in the fact that our God is still in control. And that he is working out his purpose for our good and for his glory. It's an amazing encouragement for us as we go through these difficult times. As I say, we don't live by sight. We live by faith. So it's not as if we're always going to understand the reasons why. But we can hold on to the fact that God is in control. But we don't even need to stop there. Because there's another help here. Because God didn't just reveal his purpose to Paul. He also gave him this amazing promise. Verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. Whatever Paul was going through. Whatever this, this thorn in the flesh was. Whatever suffering it brought, whatever limitation it imposed on his life or his energy, God's grace was enough to provide him with everything he needed. God's grace was enough to comfort his heart. Because God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God's grace is enough to supply his material needs. Because as we read in chapter 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. And God's grace was enough to empower him for his spiritual service. Because in chapter 4, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God. And not from us. God's grace is enough. And so Paul's weaknesses, his struggles, his suffering, his difficulties didn't limit God's power. Instead, Paul's weakness allowed God's power to be more clearly revealed in his life. God's grace is sufficient for for me, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It is in our weakness It is in our suffering that our self-sufficiency, our independence is destroyed and we recognize and we accept more fully our desperate need of God and His love and His grace and His power in our life. And so that's why Paul could conclude in verse 9, I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. And why? For the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of God's kingdom, and for the sake of Christ, Paul delighted in all those difficulties, in all those struggles, because he knew that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I recognize my desperate need of God and I go to Him for help and I find that His grace is always enough. So this is why self-confident boasting is foolish. Because it's a failure to realize and face up to our own weaknesses and our own limitations and our desperate need of God's grace. It's saying, I'm okay on my own. 
I've got enough on my own. And this is why we shouldn't focus on those spiritual highs in our life. Because these can fool others and ourselves that we are something that we're not. Those spiritual highs don't define us for who we are and our weaknesses. That's the more the real us. And also this is why we don't need to despair in those difficult times. Because God's grace is sufficient for us whatever we are facing. And His power is more clearly experienced and revealed to this world in our weaknesses.